Morning, North Point. How are we doing? I don't know if you've met Vic. Have you met Vic personally? If you haven't, you're going to want to meet Vic. Did you read his bio behind him while I was going on? It was like pony, pony rider, a rodeo founder, clown. I don't know. It was like 27 things. And I'm like, holy cow, that guy does a ton of stuff. Vic is a riot. He's one of our elders. Vic's been around North Point for 126 years. 28, it's a long time, so anyways, great guy to know. Ah, it's, a, it's, it's fun to be up here this morning. I'm excited to be here. here. Here's what I'm thinking about right now. What kind of junior hire were you? <clears throat> now, this is, this is probably, I heard some of that. Uh, this is probably a more fun uh, life group question, right? Because like in an environment like this, it's kind of like weird, like people yelling from the back. Awkward. I heard that, by the way, and, and then I heard nerd, and then I just heard chuckles. Uh, I don't know. Like, what? We we can't really talk about it in a group like this, but in a life group, you could have some fun with that. Like, what kind of junior hire were you? Like, like, junior high is a strange age. I'm I'm trying to see. We got. I don't know. I'm looking around to see if we have any junior hires, and I don't want to offend anybody this morning, especially junior high boys. Are we have no, we're okay. Maybe we can talk about them. Okay, good. I'm looking around. Like, Cause like junior high girls, like they, you know, they got a little junior high in them, but there's something about girls where they're still okay. But junior high boys, right? They're just, it's just a strange age, right? Men, if you're a man now, you remember being a junior high boys? Remember that awkward phase where like your, your body hadn't grown into what your brain thought your, your size of your body was or something? And so like you're knocking stuff over constantly. Like you just, things are not the right size. And then like your body sometimes hadn't figured out what your brain couldn't do. And so your body's trying to do things that your brain can't. And, and you just, it's just kind of an awkward, weird phase. The, uh, uh, the, the hormones are, are going a little bit bananas, right? The uh, odors are going a, a little bit bananas, right? The growth spurts are going a little bit bananas. If you have kids and they haven't gotten to junior high yet, invest in shoes that are somehow elastic. Because I, like you buy, some of you, right, remember this? You buy a pair and a week later, their toes are just hanging out the front like a werewolf. You're like, what's wrong with these people, right? Junior high, what were you like in junior high? Who were you? In junior high, I had a friend, my best friend. His name was Corey. Corey got me into all kinds of trouble. Uh, if he were preaching this sermon, he would say, I got him into all kinds of trouble, but he'd be wrong. Because uh, he got me into all kinds of trouble. And, uh, and so Corey and I, we did everything together. It's two junior high boys. We thought it would be fun one day. Um, and maybe it's important to know, we grew up in a town a little smaller than DeWitt. Uh, uh, land, geography was probably larger because there's tons of space, but there wasn't tons of people. So there's lots of spread out space. So we found this house that they, it was in construction. And so they had like all the two by fours. I don't know anything about construction, so just ride with me on this. But like all the two by fours were up, but there's no plywood or nothing. It was two story. And so we thought, because we're junior high boys, this would be fun to climb up in the rafters. Doesn't that sound right? Of the second story, like some of the men are like, yeah, where is it? I'm, I'm there, right? Uh, because sometimes we don't get paid. Anyway, so, so we're climbing up in the second story rafters of this house and, and we're just kind of walking through. There's no, there's no floor. Like you can see all the way down to the, the concrete mm, bottom floor. And, uh, and we're having a good time. And because we're super manly men, junior hires, we're singing songs in really high pitched voices. I don't know why. It's junior high boys, right? So we're up in this rafter. We're singing these, <laughs> Corey and I, and, uh, and we're having a great time. And, and then all of a sudden we notice that below us there's a little flashlight light bobbing around. I didn't know, but apparently some of these places hire security <laughs> to make sure junior high boys 
don't climb up in the rafters of a second. And so now we're sitting up at this, we're right on this uh, a beam, I don't know, thing, and we can see the security guard down there looking around for this flashlight because he can't figure out because of the acoustics, he can't figure out like where the voice is coming from and stuff. He hasn't looked up yet because who would be stupid enough to do? So, so there's lights flashing around and we're standing up there. We're looking down at him. Now you know the two junior high boys that are singing because they're super manly junior high boys, uh, uh, songs in high-pitched voices that, that when we see the security guard down there, you know what our problem is now, right? <laughs> Shut up! So that's pretty much us for the next two to three minutes until the security guard figures out where exactly we were, and then it turns into a little game of uh, Pac-Man as uh, he's trying to, you'll figure that out in your head in a minute. And I just say that bought us some trouble. So Corey got me into a lot of trouble. A few years later, I'm a youth pastor of a junior high youth group, and, and we have a kid in our youth group named Sean. Sean R. Sean R. is one of those kids in, in, in the industry we say is either going to be a pastor or a prisoner. Right, there's one, there's two options. Like, that's it. Sean R. was a, was a pain. And, and so we had this, uh, we had this overnight or sleepover, and uh, some of the high school guys had come to, like, you know, just be there and, like, set a tone for the junior high guys. Some of our guys were football players, big guys. And Sean thought it'd be real fun. Sean was a seventh grader. He weighed, like, 12 pounds. He's probably like four feet tall. He's a little guy. And so he, uh, uh, he thought it'd be real funny that when those uh, big old high school football players went to sleep that night, that he would uh, crawl out of his sleeping bag. <clears throat> He'd go over to them and he would write on them. He would write on their foreheads. He would write some not so appropriate things on their foreheads in permanent marker. This is Sean's junior high great idea of a great plan. So he did this and then uh, those guys woke up at some point and they obviously needed to respond, right? Guys, men, right? Some respond. And so what they did is they, they grabbed Sean and they, and they, and they, held him and they just, they wrote on his arms uh, in washable marker. And I, I find out about this later because I'm, I'm a good youth pastor and, uh, and I'm, I'm hearing about this and I thought that was a pretty tame response if I'm just honest. Uh, there was a lot, I thought he would lose limbs. I thought Sean was dead, you know, but, but, but they did it. And so, uh, Sean is telling me about this and he's crying. He's so angry that they did this to him and how dare they would decide to do this to him. And it's completely not fair and he can't believe, and I need to like put him up against the wall and the firing squad should come. We're going to hang these high school boys because they just, uh, they ruined Sean. And I'm trying to explain to Sean, well, you, you, you kind of brought this on yourself. And that was it. He was so fumed and angry. He decided to run away. I'm not kidding, like literally run away from the event. He's like, I'm going to run away. He had a little high-pitched voice. And so, and I'm like, I, yeah, that's not a good plan. And then he did. And I'm like, ah, he's just playing. And like 15 minutes later, we can't find him anywhere. And so now I'm like a 19-year-old youth pastor who's lost a kid at an event, which does not look good on your resume. But so we call the police. We call his parents. Well, he ran away a few blocks away and his parents happened to be coming that direction. That really was a God thing. And so they, they picked him up and they didn't call me because, you know, that doesn't matter. So everybody's mad at me now because of... Sometimes junior high boys are just a pain. <laughs> right? Amen? This is interesting because um, a few years later, Sean is running a, a, a discipleship program at a really large Christian camp. <laughs> junior high boys are kind of a pain. Pastor or, or prisoner, right, are the two options. It's interesting because uh, whenever I read the Gospels, right, these stories of Jesus written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, John were eyewitnesses to the stories of Jesus. Luke did interviews later on to get the eyewitness stories. They write these biographies of Jesus, and there's this character that pops up in all of these biographies, and he's pretty prominent in these stories of Jesus. His name is Peter. And whenever I think of Peter, I think junior high boy. 
It just is such a great, I think, image to have in our heads of, of Peter. We know, if you've been around church a little bit, we know some of the stories of Peter. We, we kind of know some of the, the trouble he got himself into. Let, let me just give you a couple examples. If you have a Bible this morning, uh, it's probably going to be a little hard to track. We've got a bunch of verses I just want to jump through. If you have the app, it'll be easier to follow the North Point app, or they'll be up on screen if you want to. If you have a paper Bible and you want to go to that, maybe maybe just turn to First Peter for now. I want to look at the Gospels for the next 10 minutes of some stories of Peter, but eventually we're going to land in this letter that this um, <laughs> junior high boy named Peter wrote. But, but here's, some, here's some things about Peter, just to, to set the tone of, of really why I think he's like a junior high boy. Uh, Luke chapter 5. This is the first interaction Peter has with Jesus. It says, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God, and he was at the water's edge, and there was two boats, and they were left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. So Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. That's Peter's uh, name. That's like his first uh, initial name, and then Jesus changed his name later. But Simon, so we'll call him Simon Peter, one belonging to Simon. And Jesus asked him to put out a little from the shore, and he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. So Jesus is talking, there's a ton of people. He's like, here's a good idea, I'll hop in the boat, we'll push off water a little bit. And that way they're not all crowding around me and everybody can hear. So when he had finished speaking, he said to Peter, Hey, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon, Peter, answers, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Doesn't that sound like a junior high boy? (laughs) Peter's like, and when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, this is so funny to me because he just had this experience where he's like, I don't want to do that. Don't make me clean my room. Right? And, then, and, then he, and, then he, and then he, fine. And he does it. And he has this amazing moment where this fisherman, Peter, like this is his whole life. He's a business owner, small business owner, probably owns a small fleet of fishing boats. And, and, and he's done this forever. Maybe his dad was a fisherman. This guy knows fishing. And so Jesus is like, no, it's cool. You fished on that side of the boat. Put your nets on that side of the boat. Do we have fishermen in here? How important is side of the boat to fishing? Now, maybe it is, and I totally don't know anything about fishing, and there's a super fisherman in here that's like, no, that's super important, Chris. But in my mind, that's like, it, it's a net, and there's fish, and they're in the water, and the water doesn't really like, oh, I'm not going on the left side of the boat, right? And so, and so Peter says, or Jesus says, do that, and they do that. They catch all these fish, and there's like this amazing moment, and Peter's reaction to that is, get away from me. Get away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. Like, I am way messed up. Don't get too near me. I don't want to get zapped. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, don't freak out. From now on, you're going to fish for people. How would that phrase not make you freak out, right? I know you're not a fish. We're going to have you fish for people. And Peter, what's he processing in his head as, as kind of like a, a junior high boy? Like, what? So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything they had and followed Jesus. That's very much like a junior high boy. It went from, Jesus, I don't want to do this, to like, okay, I'm following you. Like in a moment like that, it just changed his whole trajectory and he's out. Here, here's another story I think is interesting in Luke chapter uh, 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 9. It says this in verse 18. Um, uh, once when Jesus was praying in private and the other disciples were with him, he asked them, hey, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elisha, and others still uh, say one of the prophets a long ago has come back to life. And he looks at him, he says, but what about you? And Peter blurts out, God's Messiah. 
Now, Peter has this habit of just uh, speaking before thinking. Does that sound kind of like junior high boys? <laughs> like things are just coming out and really thought about. And sometimes he got it right. And so Peter just blurts out this old God's Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the Savior. And he's right. And Jesus is like, boy. And so we just want to be sure we mention that, you know, Peter got some points too. But then, not long after that, in Luke 22, here's, here's this story here. Uh, Jesus is, is uh, do, doing some stuff and he's talking about kind of how the end is going to go and it's going to get dangerous and people are going to be against him and, and, you know, whatnot. And so Peter says this in, in chapter 22, verse 39. He says, but, uh, but Jesus replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and even to death. Like a junior high boy, right? I will, I will feed and walk the dog and clean up after it every day forever. And Jesus looks at him and says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you're going to like deny me three times that you even know me. <laughs> so Peter's like, I will go to death. I will fight everybody for you. And Jesus is like, dude, you're going to be like, you don't even know me. So Peter, this, this guy who just blurts out, here's another event, not too much later than that, a day later, maybe that evening, in verse 49. It says, when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, people have come to arrest Jesus, the, the religious leaders, they said, Lord, should we strike out with our swords? This seems like a strange question to ask as a battalion of Roman soldiers is coming at them, led by some Jewish leaders. Should we strike out with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest's ear, cutting off his right ear. Now, it's interesting. It says one of them. The book of uh, Luke, uh, Luke wasn't an eyewitness. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He did interviews with uh, eyewitnesses to write this biography of Jesus. And most likely, much of his interview was done with Peter. And so as he's asking Peter, hey, Peter, tell me that story about the, the arrest. And Peter's like, oh, well... We were with Jesus, and the soldiers showed up. And I was like, hey, should we kill him? And Jesus didn't respond quick enough. And by the time I said kill him, I had the sword out. And I went, can we leave my name out of that? Can we just say it was one of the guys? Like, do you mind? If, and so it doesn't tell us it was Peter, but another version tells us that it's Peter. And it's interesting because Peter, before the question is even out, he's swinging at this guy. And, and it's not like he was this incredible swordsman, and he was like aiming for the ear to send a message. Like, like that cannon shot over the bow to give him a warning. He was just swinging. He was swinging for his head. He was just bad at sword stuff. And the guy ducked and, and like it was like just a miracle. It was just the ear that went off. And so Peter attacks and, and that's a whole bizarre thing too. Like what was Peter thinking? Well, junior high boy, he's not thinking. Right? What was he thinking? He's going to take on all these armed, trained soldiers. Like that was his thing. Like I'll just kill a few and you run. Or no real plan. Just kind of went at it. And then Jesus does what Jesus does. Which is always kind of funny. Verse 51 says. But Jesus answered no more of this. And he touched the man's ear. And he healed him. And I got to be thinking Peter is thinking. Well wait a minute. Jesus if I keep stabbing him and you keep healing him. We're never going to get anywhere. <laughs> like this is. I don't know. What's the. So Peter like just this big. Interesting, amazing, kind of a met. Well, uh, just a few hours before this episode, if, if we back up to verse 45, um, G- Jesus had said, hey guys, like some stuff's coming. It'd be really good if we just prayed together for a while. And they're like, oh yeah, okay. And so they start doing that. And, and, and it says in verse 45, when, when he, Jesus, rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked, get up and pray so that none of you will fall into temptation. Like Peter was asked to pray with and for Jesus. And Peter's like, yeah, okay, I'll go with you to death. He's out, <laughs> right? Just falling asleep. This is, this is the Peter that, that, we, that we know, that we understand. If we were uh, to, to back up to maybe the most uh, well-known Peter story, I think, um, it's this one here in, in Matthew chapter 14. 
they're they're doing their thing with Jesus, and uh, and Jesus has been teaching, and and he sends them on ahead in a boat, and they're moving across the Sea of Galilee, and it's really a lake, but the way that the mountains again are in that area, tons of wind comes whipping down there, and this water gets all psychotic. They actually have tons of shipwrecks. I guess we could say it's a little like Lake Michigan, because there's tons of shipwrecks actually on this Sea of Galilee because of the wind and whatnot. And so the guys uh, are in the boat crossing the lake, and Jesus does his Jesus thing, and he's doing it like out there. And so they're crossing the lake, and then they see this, this uh, they think it's a ghost, because in verse 44, they are, are 20, uh, 26, apologize, in verse chapter 14 of Matthew, verse 26, it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they're terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cry out in fear, because they see Jesus, they don't know it's him, walking towards them on the water. That would freak anybody out. And they think it's a ghost, but in verse 27, it says this, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's me, don't be afraid. And this was a great Peter statement. He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. If we've been in church for a while, we've read that before. We know what's going to happen. We're already to the end. Don't, don't get to the end. Just stick here for a minute. Is that the dumbest statement on the planet? Jesus, prove it's you. Tell me to come walk out there to you. What about Jesus, if it's really you, shout louder because I know your voice. Or Jesus, if it's really you, tell me something that only Jesus would know. Or Jesus, if it's really you, how many loaves and fishes did we have that time we fed all those people? Or you see what I'm saying? Like that seems like so much more logical to me. But there, but Peter, he's, <laughs> tell me to walk out to you. And so it's almost like Jesus calls him on it. At least this is the way I read it. Jesus calls him on it. Verse 29, he says, I, well, it says come, but as, I, yeah. <laughs> and Peter does it. What is it? It's just Peter got down out of the boat. Like it's, it's not a boat. It's like a, it's like a big fishing vessel. It's like a thing, you know. He gets down out of the boat. It says Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. I know we know the rest, but don't miss this. This is the weirdest thing. Stupid question. Jesus calls him on it. And it worked. Some of the best lessons I ever taught, I've gotten to preach for a little while, were to junior high boys. <laughs> Some of the stuff that they say, right? Amidst all the odd and unusual and, and awkward and somewhat, deve- sometimes the stuff that comes out, you're like, where did, I would have never thought I said, I don't know, is that this moment? Well, Peter gets out and he starts walking on the water to Jesus. He hadn't really thought about it because in verse 30, when he starts to think about it, it goes south, literally. It says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He wasn't bothered by the water, apparently, or the fact that there was a ghost Jesus walking to them or that he had come up with this really dumb plan and now he's in the middle of it. But he sees the wind and that freaks him out. And, 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 he, and he begins to sink and he cries out, which is the smartest thing he does, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and caught him. And he says, so you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Right? What a, what a day in the life of Peter. A couple more quick stories. Matthew chapter 16, if we were to move ahead a little bit. I mean, it's not every day that Jesus calls you Satan, right? But Peter, that's what happens to him. Peter is talking to Jesus, and Jesus is talking again, kind of what's going to happen towards the end, and that, you know, he's got to die, but he's going to rise again, and it'll be okay. He's got a plan, and Peter hears the die part, and in verse 22, it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. I think that's amazing, <laughs> all right? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke, and he said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And you think, wow, what a nice guy. He's saying, like, I'll never let this happen. I just love you so much. I care about you. I, I won't let this happen to you. That's what Peter says. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Uh, 
Peter probably thought he had like a moment. He's like, I love you. I'll never let any. Satan. What did, what did Peter do with that? He says, you're, Jesus says, you're a stumbling block to me. Uh, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter, you're being a little short-minded here. You're not thinking of the big picture. Uh, this has to happen because God's got a plan and where it's coming to fruition right now. And so, so don't, don't be in the way of that. But, but Peter, man, he just starts tossing out stuff. Uh, last one in Matthew chapter 18. It says this. This is, this is potentially one of my, one of my favorites. Um, again, they're, they're talking. Jesus has been preaching a bit here. And Peter's been listening really carefully. And so Peter says in, in verse 21, says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Like, don't miss this. This is a big deal. Because the rabbis back in the day taught that you really needed to forgive someone if you were super godly and spiritual three times. And they found this kind of obscure verse in Amos that talks about God forgiving the nation three times, whatever. And so they said three times because nobody is going to be more forgiving than God. So obviously if you forgive people more than three times, that'd be like, like God doesn't even do that. And so, and so like three times, that was sort of the magic number. And so Peter comes into this saying, hey, so how many times should I forgive people, Jesus? I know they say three, but watch this, guys. Watch, this is really cool. Seven times? That's more than double, I think. I don't know. I don't do math. Peter, so Peter, Peter's thinking, I'm gonna, I got like, I'm so spirit, I'm gonna show up, like, I got this down, I got this figured out, Jesus, you're all about grace and mercy and loving people seven times? Oh, poor Peter, because Jesus looks at him and, and he answers him, I'll tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, depending on how your version translates that, sometimes it says seven times seven or 77s. And so they argue, is it four, four, 49 or is it 490? doesn't matter. The whole point is more times than you can remember. Like you can't remember forgiving a person the same thing for the same stuff 49 times. You can remember three and maybe seven, but not four. So Jesus is making a point, like more than you can remember. That's what you do. You forgive. And I just picture Peter being like, Oh, man, like he's just all excited for a minute. He thought he had something, and all of a sudden it crashes down. Well, Peter was part of Jesus' closest three. Jesus would often split uh, the guys off. He would take three with him. It was always Peter, James, and John. Uh, some folks think that this is like a, an honor or a benefit. I don't think so. Being a junior high youth pastor, I think it's because they were the problem kids, that they were the ones causing trouble, and you don't leave them alone with the rest of the group because the group will be burnt down. So Jesus brought them with him all the time. Uh, Peter's constantly getting quizzed by Jesus. He asks him straight out, Peter, what do you, what do you think? All right, Peter constantly asks the wrong questions, or he's blurting out, poorly thought out answers, and yet he goes on to lead the church. He writes letters or what we call books uh, uh, in the Bible to encourage struggling believers. He dies as a passionate follower, a passionate witness for Jesus, pastor or prisoner, <laughs> right? That's Peter. Well, all that to say, that, that was just an intro. Aren't you excited? Uh, all that to say, we start a new 12-week series today, and I'm super excited about it. It's called Holy, Holy, and Holy. We'll explain that in a second. We're really coming from the book of First and Second Peter, these letters that Peter wrote to, uh, to, to believers, to Christians in the Roman Empire in a time where it was not popular to be a Christian. They were being persecuted by uh, Rome. They were being persecuted by the emperor. They were being persecuted by the Jews. They were just being persecuted by everybody. And folks were struggling. Churches were struggling. Individuals were struggling. It was a challenging time to be a Jesus follower. And so Peter, Peter, this gigantic junior high boy that blurts out before he thinks, that steps in, that carries a sword, that swings at people, that, that came up with a dumb plan to walk on water, then it worked, then it didn't work. And just this, this guy of a guy 
He writes this letter to encourage the believers. This is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1. If we just drop down to verse 3 and start there. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish. Spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. And all this you'll greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith is greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He starts this letter after this mini greeting. He starts this letter by saying, even though times are tough, even though it's tough right now, you have this great reality about you because of Jesus, because of your salvation, because of this relationship that you have with Jesus. You know that Jesus that I knew, that one that called me Satan, that one that told me to walk on the water, that one? Because of the relationship we have with him, you have this great reality now and in the future. I know it's difficult now. I know times are tough and it's not fun. But you've got this reality of being a Christ follower now that sets you apart and different from everybody else. And this reality in heaven in the future is being kept for you. It's not like you can lose that. Like, so whatever happens here, that's coming and that's amazing and we've got some of that now, which is an amazing thing. All because of this relationship that you have. Jump over to verse 13. He says, therefore... And any time therefore pops up, like that's a big word, we want to pause and notice that because it means whatever you just read, that something's coming from that. So it says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in his coming. Because of all this truth of, of what you have now and holding in the future for you, because of that, set your minds on it. And then he goes into verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Because of who you are in Christ, like like you can be different. Or he uses the word holy. We, We might say living lives markedly different. Than the world. Separate, uh, set apart, uh, completely different. Because of who you are in Jesus, and remember, we're being persecuted at the time, like, like focus on that and, and, and know who, that you can be different. You can live different, living lives markedly different from the world. He goes on in verse 16, for it's written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who is judging each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. This is not our permanent home. This is the campsite. Now maybe because we have this relationship with Jesus, this is a pretty amazing campsite. It's like glamping, not camping, right? Even though we might be persecuted, even though we've got some struggles, even though life is not always roses and cherries on top, the reality is that we know who we are in Christ. And because of that, it's like glamping, and we know what future is coming for us. Do you know what I mean when I say glamping? Glamorous camping. That's people who live in motorhomes when they go camping. Basically, they drive their whole house out to a dirt place and live in their house, right? It's, it's beautiful. I love it. Right? He says, we're like foreigners. This is not our home, right? For you know that it's not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from that empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or defect, He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe
believing God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. It's not purchased with perishable thing. You can't lose this. Because it wasn't purchased with something that can be lost. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Because of this truth, this reality of who you are in Christ, you have these amazing abilities not only to live holy but to to love deeply from the heart. For you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord never fails. And God has told us clearly, because of who we are in him, we live holy lives and we can be different. This whole picture of holy like, like, f- complete, because of this relationship we have in Christ, we are complete. That's that word holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, you know, whole, right? Holy, complete, full, not lacking anything, not empty. Peter says, you're not going back to this old empty way, rather you have this full, complete, holy way of living. Because of this wholeness we have in Christ, we can live holy, H-O-L-Y, Holy, sometimes we in church circles get this holy word meaning like a perfect or like a saint, which you are, by the way. You're called saints in the Bible. I think that's cool. But it's it, like somehow we get the picture of like the Pope or something or like just some kind of a, like holy means like super pure. It means like, oh, he doesn't ever do anything wrong. And that, that's, that's a meaning of holy, pure is, but it really is this word that means separate or distinct or set apart. And so we love the phrase marked, markedly different than the world. Like, like living lives markedly different from the world. We talk a lot about evangelism, right? Like we're supposed to be telling Jesus about, Je- or telling people about Jesus kind of thing. We should probably tell Jesus about Jesus too, but telling people about Jesus. And, and, and back when I was growing up, 80s and 90s, we had all these programs and studies and campaigns and whatever to teach you how to do that. And you had all these words you were supposed to say and knock on doors and it was kind of awkward and it was whatever. And it, and, and it was probably effective in a lot of ways and, and some not. What's most effective is living a life markedly different from folks around you. That doesn't mean that like you have to be some uh, prude, I'm going there, and, and it'd be like, t- turn your nose up at everything, and, and like, I never watch movies, and I only drink water, and I don't eat sugar, and I'm on the keto diet. Whatever you do, that's good for you. That doesn't mean you have to do all that stuff to like to make people feel bad about their stuff. That's not what it means to live a life markedly different than the world. But think about who Peter's writing to. He's writing to people that are under persecution, Where it would be so much easier to say, oh, no, I'm not a Christian. And then maybe just like read your Bible in your closet under your blanket at night or something. It would be so much easier because you don't have to deal with all the pressure of people not showing up to your business or, or, or the soldiers maybe grabbing you one day because of that or somehow having to pay extra taxes or all the junk that goes on when you're under persecution. You have to be looking around the corner. Just be so much easier to not worry about. And Peter's saying, live lives markedly different than the world. The world would hide under persecution. I don't know, Peter's maybe saying, like, don't. <laughs> like, don't flaunt it. Don't go out and try and get yourself killed. That's not what he's saying. But this idea that, that live your life so different that people are asking you, why are you like that? Why do you keep showing up to this church thing, first century Christians in the Roman Empire? Why do you keep doing that? You know that there's Jews there that are just looking to get you in trouble. These Jewish leaders don't like what you're doing. I just love Jesus and love people and trying to figure it out. I mean, living lives markedly different than the world because you are whole, complete, holy, holy. Because you are completely living lives markedly different than the world. Completely. Because of Jesus, you are holy, holy. And then if we skip over to chapter 2, 
Starting in verse uh, 1, it says this. Therefore, there's that, that therefore again. Some versions translate it but. They use a little smaller word. And then in junior high, since we're talking to junior high boys, we'd always say, it's a big but. <laughs> it's a big but right here. We want to pause and hear these therefore words. Therefore, but, because of all that stuff, because you are holy, holy, Rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, so that by you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Because you are holy, completely holy, set apart, living lives distinctly uh, different than the world, markedly different than the world, the reality is we're also still holy. H-O-L-E-Y. We, we, we have holes. Like, we leak. <laughs> Like this, this leaks. Like, like we are, while we're completely holy, we're still living in this, this body and this flesh and this planet with all the things around us that tend to push into us and maybe cause us to do things we don't want to do or to do things we want to do but not do those things. And, and it's kind of a mess sometimes. I, I, I use the phrase all the time, man, I need more Jesus in me. And theologically, I have all the Jesus in me that I, I need, but, but because, of the, the, because of his death on the cross and my relationship with him, to live a life that's markedly different, which is my goal, but sometimes I just feel like, man, I'm missing some stuff. Too much has crept in. Theologically, when we say we leak, we don't mean like that somehow your salvation leaks away and somehow you have to earn that back up again. It's not like a cup with holes in it. Or somehow you have to keep earning up your righteousness. And it leaks away somehow. We don't mean that, 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 that somehow your right standing with God leaks out. Because that's not true. It's more like stuff leaks in that shouldn't be there. Does that make sense? This is probably a big distinction to understand. It's like stuff leaks in. The image that we might employ is like if you take a bucket, it's got some holes in it and you got some water and you put it in the ground over time, maybe that dirt will start to filter in. It's that leaking in that happens. And so when Peter lists some things that, that he's seen in this, this church, in this area that Peter's writing to about deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, this idea of things that are leaking in, be careful about that. But in fact, the image that we use back here of the boat, we use that boat in particular because when a boat sinks, it's not that the air inside the boat leaked out. <laughs> it's that the water leaked in. Because we are holy Holy and yet still holy. Talk about a guy full of holes. Peter, <laughs> full of holes. Or Sean, or me, <laughs> or pr- probably you. We're going to get really practical over the next couple of months as we walk through First and Second Peter and talk about this concept of being holy, holy, and yet still holy. We are a mess, kind of like junior high boys sometimes. A beautiful, redeemed, awkward, sometimes confused, holy, leaking mess of stuff. Let's stand, we'll sing, we'll be done today.